1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks to the nature of our resurrected bodies. So we look to the reading of God's word if you'd join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we meet now in your presence, we ask you would open our ears to hear your voice, to open our hearts to love you more and more, to open our souls to receive your word in its fullness, that your son Jesus, the word made flesh, would be glorified and honored in our lives. For it is in his name that we now pray. Amen. We're looking at the whole of 35 through 49, but just reading simply the first few verses. Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. For God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. The word Lord, if you please be seated. This week I happened to hear a a short clip from Johnny Erickson Tata on the radio. And and it was about her dealing with physical pain, a body breaking down with age. For you who might not know, when Johnny was 17, she misjudged the depth of the water and dove into Chesapeake Bay, uh, fracturing her vertebrae, and she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. And she's an amazing Christian woman who's encouraged and inspired many for decades through her books, through her speaking engagements. And she's now 72, has gone through two recent rounds with cancer. And this little piece I heard, her was just her talking about the continued challenges of dealing with a body that can be racked with pain and continues to deteriorate with age. And specifically for her, the pain in her hips and her low back. It's really easy to understand how a person who has been a quadriplegic for over 50 years would be looking forward to a new body. But really, so are the rest of us too. Aging makes this much more apparent, but it's safe to say that few people are really happy with their bodies. Think about it. Can I be a little taller? Maybe a little shorter? Blonde, brunette. Can I be a little bigger? Can I be a little more petite? Can I just look different? And then you add into that health issues like asthma, autism, migraines, mental disorders, chronic pains, and so forth. And the idea of trading in this body for something better is certainly appealing. The good news of Jesus, we understand, brings salvation to the whole person. And because Jesus was fully human, his death and his resurrection addresses us body and soul. We have a glorious promise of complete renewal in him. The Apostle Paul, he points out many of these promises here in chapter 15. And after giving a short summary of what Jesus has accomplished, he informs these Corinthians of the resurrection from the dead as an actual central part of the work of salvation. And this notion of bodily resurrection, it offended Greek philosophical sensibilities. And Paul is needing then to give a further instruction on what this means. And he informed them of the how and the what of the resurrection. And these truths are not only future promises, but they are present realities as well. Well, he speaks then of this new body that is on the way. He says in verse 35, how are the dead to be raised? What kind of body do they come from? This asking a question, and he responds, you foolish person. 
And his tone that he takes indicates it's not just someone who's in doubt or saying curiosity-wise, like, oh, how's that going to happen? It's someone who is speaking of the resurrection really in a mocking tone, someone who is derisive of the entire doctrine. Many of the Corinthians have been boasting about their great knowledge of their spiritual insight, and Paul is saying, you're really very ignorant if you don't understand the resurrection. Why is it so important? Because if death wins in the end, life now is totally meaningless. So Paul points us ahead. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, a seed of wheat of grain or something. He, he says something similar to that, the same idea in Romans chapter 6. He said, you and I were buried with Jesus by baptism into death. And he goes on, he says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like him. Paul connects those thoughts together in Romans as well as here. And we all like to think of life as the here and now. But Paul's actually saying the life that we long for will actually come after death. So like going from eating dried fruit to fresh fruit, the two aren't comparable. This is so much better in what's to come. And then Paul begins using these planting images. He reminds us that a seed looks nothing like the plant that actually comes from it. And so in the same way, we will be far beyond what we have now. Then he, sort of with the whole backdrop of Genesis 1 and 2, he speaks about everything made according to God's design. And he's, he walks backwards, as it were, through the creation account. He says in verse 38 that God has given it a body as he has chosen. To each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another for the glory of the moon, another the glory of the stars, and stars differ from star in glory. That, that word glory in Greek, it's doxa, and it comes right into English as doxology. Uh, it, it has a, a kind of a twin meaning of splendor and honor. We, we speak of doxology, of giving honor, giving praise to God. And Paul, he uses both of these meanings here. He moves from radiance and splendor, like you think of the sun and the stars, to, to that of honor. And notice that in these verses, it's God who makes all of this happen. His grace and his power are at work. Everything will be as God has made it to be. Our new bodies will have a new glory and splendor that they currently do not have. There's going to be something greater to come. And immediately you think, well, how is that possible? He says in verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable, what is raised imperishable. Another translation of imperishable is incorruptible. And every time I hear that word incorruptible, I think of Handel's Messiah. The third movement, scene two, and that solo of the trumpet takes place, and then that bass or that baritone starts to sing, really, just verse 52 from Corinthians 15. The trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Be raised incorruptible. A a wonderful promise. No more decay, no more physical dissolution, no more breakdowns. 
One writer says it this way, the resurrection completely swallows up the broadest and deepest effects of the fall on creation and humanity. And Paul, he speaks more of then of just our physical decay. He includes our moral shame. He says in verse 43, he said, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Now, some misunderstand Paul here. Natural and spiritual do not refer to physical and non-physical. Natural speaks to those who are living ordinary human lives apart from the Holy Spirit. One writer captures it well. He says, Paul speaks of not what is something composed of, but what is animated by. It's a difference between speaking of a ship made of steel or wood on the one hand or a ship driven by steam or wind on the other. See, our new life will be marked by being driven by the Holy Spirit. Not a composition. It's of what animates, what drives you. It will be a physical body, but with a glory and a splendor that we do not now have. We will be completely in sync with the Spirit of God. And to see what this looks like, Paul points really to the risen Jesus. He goes on then in verse 45. He's, as is written, the first man, Adam, became a life, a living being. The last Adam, speaking of Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. Adam was alive, but he died. His life ended at death. And we are also under that same curse. But Jesus, his life didn't end at death. He is a life-giving spirit. Spirit, being. The Spirit will bring us life as we are resurrected in Christ. Paul says something very similar in Romans 5. He says, Because of Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man. Much more then are those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign through the one man, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is life, the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul goes on in verse 46, he says, but it's not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Again, not talking about composition like earthly stuff versus heavenly stuff, but one of location. Here on the earth, we're under the curse. We die, we decay, we're subjected to futility. But Jesus is not from the earth. In him, we are under a whole new operating system. And that's good news. Paul goes on, verse 48. As the man of dust, so are also those who are of the dust, us. As the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we also bear the image of the man of heaven. God's image is not lost, but it's warped and it's tarnished here. Romans eight twenty nine, that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal, the image of Christ, the restoration of what has been damaged, destroyed. That's what's in front of us. And Paul, he also speaks of the resurrection in 1 Thessalonians 4. There he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will raise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together 
with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. So just a different version of what he's saying here in Corinthians. But just to get something completely out of the way, this is where this idea of rapture comes from, from 1 Thessalonians 4. Rapture is just the Latin word translating the Greek here, and it comes into English. Now, there is so much crazy teaching on the rapture that misses Paul's point entirely. The focus often is really on the wrong word. The word that's important is the word meet. When Paul says that we will meet Jesus in the air, that word has a particular meaning that's lost if you're not careful. We see it in Acts 28. When Paul comes to Rome, it says the brothers and sisters came out to meet Paul as he came in. And what that meant in Greek and Roman society, when a king or a dignitary, somebody of high standing came to a city, the inhabitants would all go out and meet this person and walk them into the city. It was a way of honoring who this person was. Uh, It was something that happened all the time. And that's what Paul means. At Christ's return, those who are alive at the time said they will be caught up, raptured to his side. The purpose being to meet him as he comes to the earth. It's a position of honor, saying we will honor Jesus by coming with him as he enters into his inheritance, as he establishes his kingdom. It does not mean that we'll be whisked away somewhere, but that Jesus is coming here to establish his rule and his reign. And he will fully usher that in at his return. And so it's really important we understand that that's what's happening. Because otherwise, sometimes Christians get the idea that we're going to be, you know, we get whisked away to heaven. And why that matters is that it, it takes the focus off what we're to live here and now. One writer, he said, the point is not to escape from the earth and find oneself at last in heaven, but to let the present heavenly life change the present earthly reality. That's the point. The point of what is promised then, we live out now in anticipation. And it matters. Why? If you're sitting in the airport terminal waiting for your flight, what do you do? Mostly nothing. It's super boring. You might read, you might people watch, you might play with your phone. We don't do much of anything until we get to our destination other than complain a lot about how we don't like to fly. Jesus has not called us to an airport terminal. He's called us to labor here, for here is where he will come. He will establish his kingdom here. He will renew all things here. And so that means we're a pilgrim people. We have a foot in both camps. Or a summary of John 17, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We, we live in that way between both worlds. And this goes back then to what's animating you, what's driving you. The natural man or woman running off on your own power, your own guidance, your own desires, or the spiritual man or woman running on Christ's power, Christ's guidance and his desires. So, As believers, we live now under a new management. It's under a new management. 
And when you hear that, don't hear me say, well, now that Jesus is risen, you need to work harder and do more for him. No, that's not the good news. The good news is that we are under new management. What we could not do, he has done. Jesus has set us free. John 8, 36, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And then we're told a little more about what that freedom looks like. 1 Peter 2, he says, live as free people. But don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. And then in Galatians 5, Paul again, brothers and sisters, we're called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. That's what we've been set free for. That is what God has given to us in his son. That's also the language we see of putting off and putting on. We put on now what we will fully anticipate and be revealed later. We start living now in step with the Holy Spirit. And that's freedom for us. We've been set free by Jesus so we don't have to be bound to sin. What are some implications of this? Well, we care for God's creation. We're not consumers. We're stewards. We care for God's critters. The Bible actually says a fair amount of how we are to care for animals. We're not cruel. We don't exploit them. Again, we're stewards of creation. And we care for those who are made in God's image. How we treat one another reflects the glory and the splendor of Jesus that we are to share in. Jesus enables us to take our eyes off ourselves, to look beyond us to those around us. And that is really hard for us to do. There's a song that uh, was, was quite popular in, in the 90s, and there's the slightly modified lyrics. And it begins, this person is basically looking away from himself, and, and he sees particularly this girl, but he says, you're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. You float like a feather in a beautiful world. He says, I wish I was special, but I'm a creep. I'm a weirdo. I don't belong here. I want to have control. I want a perfect body. I want a perfect soul. I want you to notice when I'm not around. I wish I was special, but I'm a creep. We get that. We understand that. We, we always look outward to see everybody else has it together, but we are the ones who, who have something wrong with us. But for those in Christ, a new reality is on the way. And we, we get to live in that new reality now. But it is very short-sighted of us not to go deeper beyond the hopes of a new body, beyond our own sense of alienation and brokenness. It's to take us to how we view others and how we view our interactions with those. From, from Johnny Erickson Tata again, just read this, this piece. She said, don't be thinking that for me in heaven, the big deal after all, I, you know, once I get to see Jesus, is to get a new body. No, 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 no. Like, huh, that seems like it makes sense. You'd want a new body after 50 years of being quadriplegic. She goes, no, I want a glorified heart. I want a glorified heart that no longer twists the truth no longer resists God, no longer looks for an escape, gets defeated by pain, becomes anxious or worrisome, manipulates my husband with precisely timed phrases. No, I don't want anything, anything like that. When people come to me 
She says, Christians, usually Pentecostals, Charismatics, they always want to pray for my healing. And, and they're quite bold to come up and ask me if they might do so. And I never say no. If you want to bring for my healing, bring it on. But I say to them, may I tell you some specifics which I really need praying for, for healing. And she said, they get really excited. And then she says this. Would you please ask God to get rid of my peevish attitude in the morning when I wake up? And please, I have such a sour disposition when there's too much work on my desk. And you know, I really am a workaholic, so I wish you would pray about that. Let me go just on telling them all the things in my heart that need to be uprooted, confessed before God and repented of and healed. That's the good news. A new heart, a new vision of the world, a new way of living. And we get to experience that now, even as we wait for the fullness later. It it gets our eyes off of us and our problems and the things that we don't like about who we are. And it says, you know, I profoundly impact the lives of people around me. I want a glorious new heart. That's the the new covenant. That all things will be renewed at one point when Jesus returns. Until then, we we get the, the joy of putting on more and more of Christ. To be more in step with the Spirit. To be more in sync with His purposes and plans for all of humanity. That enable us, going back to 1 Corinthians 13... To, to love. And that love is not just our duty, it's a destiny of what is to come. But we get to, to do that now. To live in step with the Spirit of Christ dwelling in us that will one day bring its fruition. Like this seed of who we are will give birth to something amazing and new and beautiful and filled with splendor. And we long for that and look forward to it but never losing sight that that impacts us now. That the freedom of the gospel enables us to begin to live for Christ here, to live in love with those around us. To be saying, how can can I love you in such a way to help further the fullness of who you are made to be in Jesus. That is so profoundly unselfish. It's hard to even imagine what that will look like in its completion. But brothers and sisters, that is the goal of where we are going and that is the purpose of how we are to live now in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we are indeed encouraged by what you have done in our lives with the lives of those around us. And even, Father, we think of your servant, Johnny Erickson Tata. Father, how she has been such a a tremendous vessel of hope and truth and righteousness in a broken body. And Lord, we pray that we too, in our own broken bodies, would be that source of hope and good news to others. Father, help us to live with that before us. Father, help us to live 
with a taste of heaven on our lips, even as we learn to love those around us as you have loved us in Christ. For we pray and ask these things in his name.